Welcome to the Elevating Voices in Leadership podcast brought to you in partnership with Pepperdine University's Graduate School of Education. I'm Dr. Gabriela Miramontes, I did not forget my name, and I will be your host. With me today are my co-hosts, uh, Dr. Maria Brame, uh, Dr. Asia Ghazi, Dr. Sonia Sharififard, Ms. Charletta Green, and Ms. Suellen Schneider. Uh, with us today, we have a guest. Um, her name is Selena Stewart. She is part, uh, she is an alum of Pepperdine University. Um, Selena is presently a PhD student at Pepperdine. Her dissertation titled, uh, titled about her business, The Making of Successful Black Female Entrepreneurs examines the vicissitudes and challenges faced by black women in entrepreneurship, as well as the strategies and strategic ecosystems allowing black women to achieve successful business ownership. Her research concentrates on exploring and disseminating viable pathways to successful Black entrepreneurship, economic mobility, and collective advancement. At the heart of her research is a passion for creating a world where Black men and women can joyfully pursue their passions and enjoy the lives that exceed their every dream and prayer. So welcome, Selena. We're so excited to have you here today. Um, Obviously, your topic is of great interest to us as a panel, but also to us as, as a school here at GSEP. Um, really excited to have you. Uh, so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited. This is my first podcast, <laughs> um, and it's just a pleasure to be with um, three women who have helped me along this journey and just who understand what this means to me. Um, it's a joy. Well, you're very welcome. And of course, we were ecstatic to be part of your um, part of your journey, and so hopefully we can continue on in the in the work. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, with that said, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days and and what's going on as far as the now after dissertation and in that space where you're in the PhD? Um, but what are you doing as far as your research and all of that? So, I think. The main thing is um, I'm continuing forward with this PhD. Um, one of the most interesting things that happened to me in this journey is I realized when I finished my dissertation that I had so many more questions. You think it's going to be the end of the journey and really it unlocked this passion inside of me, but also this desire to find the rest of the answers because you're really exploring that one thing. So um, a couple of things came out in the research that I really want to explore moving forward. And there have been a couple of things that happened in the news lately that informed me that it's a good idea to continue doing that research. So what I found is that um, a lot of Black women are pursuing what's called solopreneurship. They're locked into these businesses that feel almost more like a job because they're doing everything by themselves. And because of that, they stay kind of small. Um, they don't hire, they're not scaling, and they weren't built with scale in mind. So there were, um, there's a couple, uh, Melvin and Monique Rodriguez, who, um, who have a company called Myel Organics. And recently they got a sizable amount of venture capital. And then another couple did the same thing. Uh, Pinky Cole and Derek Hayes of the Slutty Vegan got a sizable amount of venture capital. And it got me thinking when you introduce a partner, whether male or female into the equation, and you can just sort of divide those tasks, you can start hiring, and you just have more bandwidth. Do you have better outcomes? And so um, as we dive into this PhD program, I'm sort of taking the research there and exploring that just to see if we can find some more viable pathways for women to exceed and turning this into a thought leadership platform. Wow, that's exciting. So how does this tie into the work you're doing in the PhD program? So they changed the PhD program around a little bit where we're starting with grant writing first and this idea of disseminating our research um, and putting it into practice. And so um, it got me thinking about where I could take that dissertation next, but also just um, where people are um, today and what kind of help they need, what kind of information they need. And so as I looked at the curriculum, I realized I can build a thought leadership platform along these classes because they're really giving you the information that you need to step into that visible expert space. And so I'm just taking it step by step with each class, leveraging that information they give me to build that platform slowly, but surely and strategically. Wonderful. So I'd love to, I'd love to ask a question. Um, 
And this is so exciting. It's so exciting to see you move forward from your first dissertation, which was so cool, um, and engaging in so many ways. What is, can you talk a little bit about thought leadership, how you define it and what, what that means? Yes, absolutely. So I think the definition I have had of thought leadership um, before I started the program aligned with almost an influencer, an influencer whose area of expertise is their knowledge and not necessarily um, an industry like fashion or beauty or a lot of those things that we see. Um, so there's this, this idea that scholars work in academia, that they become professors. But we've seen a few of them lately have great success in taking that research out of academia and introducing it to the greater community, the people that it actually serves and that it affects. And so when I think of thought leader now, I think of somebody who is disseminating information to the greater public where they can put it to use and where it has a greater impact. Excellent. So you really want to make this, you, you really want to apply this. I yeah. do. I do. I found yeah. a love for it along the way. And just when I'm having conversations daily with people, these are the conversations I'm having. It's so interesting. There are so many people who are just burnt out after COVID with the idea of traditional work. And so they're trying to figure out how they can continue this life that they found where they're actually in their homes instead of just going to work and paying for them, sleeping in them, but enjoying them, where they can spend more time with their families, where they can spend more time pursuing their passions and the things they love, and where work fuels a lifestyle where it doesn't become the lifestyle, right? And so um, these are the conversations I'm having with my girlfriends. These are the conversations my family is having. And I just found it's timely and relevant in a way that I didn't anticipate coming into the program. Beautiful, thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much. And are you looking at this? I mean, this can really be obviously, or maybe not, tell, tell, talk a little bit about the community that, that you're interested in? I mean, in terms, are you thinking local? Are you thinking more broadly? When I first started, I was thinking about the U.S. And um, it's, it's grown since then. I realized that a lot of the problems we face here affect other groups of people. Even mm -hmm. as I was sort of researching, I found that disadvantaged groups of all kinds, not just Black women specifically, um, can be impacted by this research. It really it's really relevant in a way that I didn't expect it to be. I, I thought about myself first, right? Um, because in the dissertation, what I, what I found was that for a lot of these women, when they began to tap into their own stories, their own origin, their own struggles, that is when they found that they were experts in something. Anything you've overcome, you can teach. And the same thing happened to me and the journey, and it didn't dawn on me until one of the women said it in a way where I had that aha moment. Um, and then I realized this pertains to me too, but like other women are being affected by this and they're having great success when they find that thing that they're uniquely equipped to give, to serve in, to teach. Um, and so what I realized is that realization, that works for anybody. It's not just this group of women who can benefit from that knowledge, from that, that pivotal moment where you realize all of these things that I thought were holding me back unlocked the future I wanted. That is so, so cool. You know, I wrote down what you said, anything you can overcome, you can teach. That is one of the coolest things I've heard. Um, and you know what I'm... I'm going to actually um, check in with Dr. Gabby on this because both of us listened in on a presentation by Dr. Goosby Smith. Um, this was several weeks ago now. But one thing that became fascinating and evident, and I, I think maybe Dr. Gabby, you may have commented on this, or maybe I'm wrong, or we talked about it afterwards. She talked about um, key... Um, Black women figures um, from the early previous century who were leaders in numerous ways. For example, Ida B. Wells, who founded the NAACP, and, and some of those folks who didn't see themselves as um, being oppressed. They saw opportunities and moved towards those opportunities. 
And I kind of get a similar feeling from what you're talking about here. Um, Dr. Gabby, please jump in. Um, yeah, and um, yeah. So it, I, I, I would concur with Dr. Barmy. Um, so the, the talk um, that Dr. Goosby Smith did, and it was quite a while back, um, was around these, these women who were, who were unsung almost, um, where <clears throat> they, um, it, they didn't talk about oppression or, or oppression or victimization. It's not to say it doesn't exist or it didn't exist, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, it wasn't an obstacle. It wasn't, right. or actually it wasn't, I won't even say it wasn't an obstacle. Clearly it is, but they didn't let their circumstance define their actions. They didn't, you know, it, it was this feeling of um, they were at the, at the forefront of change. They could see it, they can vision it, and they were operating in that direction. They didn't let the circumstances of the situation get, get in their way. Um, and so it's interesting because I know that in, in your research, there is, you do have stories of Black female entrepreneurs during slavery and, and in our history. Um, that and it had a very similar feeling. So, can you can you tell us a little about the women that you actually showcased in your dissertation and what kind of came of it, or what prompted you to include them, or or how that was how you were inspired? What about them inspired you? Yes, wow, that is so it's so spot on. As I read these women's stories, I found the possibilities for my life multiplying. And it's it's interesting because it's almost like the biggest advantage that these women had was their mindset. And it's the exact thing that you're describing. It is that mindset of, I'm not worried about the circumstances. Like I, I believe that I have the power to shift what's going on around me. I have the power to influence it. And I have the power to create a life I love. And because they had that mindset, it was almost like nothing could stop them. And I think that that was the common denominator in all of their stories. They each did it a different way, but they were determined to have a lifestyle, to be a thing, to be something, whatever it was that they were dreaming of. So Annie Turnbull Malone actually created um, the business model that we now know as the Mary Kay business model. And people don't talk about that a lot. Her name doesn't come up when we talk about that particular style of business, but she, she innovated that. And then you have Madam CJ Walker, who at one point worked for her and then took it to another level. And they had a, a friendly competition between them that pushed them both to higher heights. You had Hannah Elias, where when you go and you look at these uh, these newspaper clippings of her, they called her the Enchantress, the Negro Enchantress. Mm -hmm. And she was mysterious. She was alluring. Um, just all of those things that, that today are still powerful. They're still powerful tools for personal branding, especially in a space where everyone gives up so much on social media and on the internet, right? And she just decided that she was not going to fall into this, this predetermined idea of what a Black woman was. She was going to be her. And I guess that was fabulosity as far as she was concerned. And she stepped into that and created, even with the news headlines, people were so fascinated and interested in her that I feel like she became a socialite in addition to being a businesswoman. And her business dealings were not things that she promoted. They're things that she did in, in the dark of the night. You wouldn't know she owned a building. You wouldn't know she owned this real estate portfolio because back then it was dangerous for people to know every move you were making but she created a life she loved and then she disappeared. They don't know how her life ended, where she went. She created a life she loved and it wasn't for everybody else. It was just for her. And when she was done and she was satisfied, she, she disappeared. She literally, they, they believed that she left the country and she just went and lived out her life peacefully. Uh, Bridget Biddy Mason was a slave and as her, the family she belonged to was making their way across the country, she met other slaves who told her in California, you can be free. So when she came to California, she petitioned for her freedom. The judge had a caring, considerate heart. 
and put she and her family in cells to protect them because the slave uh, master at that time wanted to kidnap them and take them back. And he protected them. Then he brought them into his chambers and he asked her, do you want to be free? And she said, absolutely. That's all I want. And he allowed her to be free. She started off working as a nurse and then she built a real estate platform. Um, and that real estate, those properties uh, fueled a multi-generational uh, wealth that gave her family freedom and options that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And so what was really amazing about their stories also is some of these industries are industries that women are still making fortunes in today. And so there was just a lot of, there was a lot in their stories that's applicable to all of us today. Anybody who has a dream, any woman who has a dream. And it was interesting to me that even though the socio-political circumstances are a little different, the obstacles haven't changed. But those mindsets, and I, I feel like that's the key, that mindset of no one's going to determine who I am but me. You're not going to tell me what I can have. You're not going to tell me what I can do. You're not going to tell me that I can't make the world a better, more beautiful place. At least for me, my family, and my community, it unlocked the door for those ladies. And so um, I'd actually love to listen to that, that speech or that presentation you ladies were listening to because it's so, it's so relevant and it's so timely. And I think a lot of the women we see seeing, uh, succeeding today have that same idea and that attitude about life and it fuels them. Thank you for sharing. Um, in fact, uh, Charlotta and I multiple uh, over over the course of our knowing each other have had multiple conversations about this very topic. Um, just this idea of this this growth mindset, right? And and where you fall based on your ideas and thoughts. And Charlotta, please jump in um, because I find it uh, Charlotta is known for asking these really profound questions. Um, which let us lead us down this space. Um, so yeah, if there's anything yeah. you want to add, Charletta. Well, I would number one to thank you, Selena, for um, sharing that heart and passion first and foremost, because so many people hide behind so many masks and they don't do that. Um, so thank you for that. What I want to know is when you're looking at this and you're thinking about how some women don't partner, they don't reach scale in the way they could with, until they begin to partner. What part of that mindset are you seeing or that kind of framing are you seeing um, from understanding that we as women operate in community? And the more we operate in community, the more we find our stride. Mm -hmm. That is such a good question. I think that mindset develops socially and culturally because in the U.S. we are individualistic, we're not collectivist. And so in the U.S. you will find that immigrant entrepreneurs perform differently um, and have more success um, than our community is having at this time. And I really think it boils down to not having that individualistic attitude. But then there's the other part of that where black women don't always get the help that they need. Um, I know that there's a greater conversation happening around um, maternity death rates and mm -hmm. things like that because people mm -hmm. perceive us to be strong. And mm -hmm. with that idea of the strong black woman comes the idea that she doesn't need help. Right. And I think um, some of us internalize that. And so we don't ask. I think a lot mm -hmm. of us haven't received mentorship. We haven't received um, that that type of that type of guidance that allows us to feel comfortable asking. And so we develop the mindset that we we have to be great, but we have to do it ourselves. That superwoman complex, and yeah. um, there's a danger in that. Um, on the emotional state, mm -hmm. right? And on the mental state, no one, there's no such thing as self-made. And that's what I'm learning. Right. Everyone right. has a hand up. Everyone has, you have to have community. You have to have help. And yeah. so um, I think a lot of these women have that mindset, not because they want to, but because those were their it's circumstances. Been, it was, and it's been cultivated. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's been the cultivation. And as you're talking about that and you're thinking about, um, you know, immigrant populations, one of the things that I think that we forget is people who came here 
in enslaved circumstances didn't leave community mindset behind. That whole idea that we all eat. When we all eat, we all survive. And I think sometimes, and again, I don't know if you're seeing this in your research, we as Black women spend so much time helping everyone else that we spend out our resources because that is the mindset. It's not just the strong Black woman, but it's this is our community and it's our task to make sure the community is okay, not realizing that you have to put your own mask on first. Mm. So are you, are you encountering that in your research as well? I saw a lot of that. And it's one of the things that keeps the women small in business um, because you wear so many other hats. So to be successful at entrepreneurship, to master anything, they say it takes about 10,000 hours. Imagine being a woman who's caring for her family, who's caring for her husband, who's caring for her children, a woman who's building a business, but might also have a job that's fueling that business, a woman who serves in her church, a woman who serves in her community, a woman who's available to her family, and then trying to live out her dream when she's done serving everybody else. And yeah, so- she's Shouldn't have anything else to pour into. Her cup is empty and they teach us pour from your cup when it's running over. But what you find is that um, a lot of these women who tap into partnership and when they find mentors for the first time, when they Mm -hmm. find that supportive community for the first time and they feel what it's like to have their cups Mm -hmm. filled by Mm -hmm. a person they're pouring into, but that person turns Mm -hmm. around and pours back, it's life changing. And it came out a lot in these conversations. In fact, just having the conversations, a lot of the women I interviewed had emotional responses. There were tears shed because no Mm -hmm. one ever asked them their stories. No one ever asked them their challenges. No one ever celebrated their success. The narrative is really important because narrative shapes perception and then it it dictates your action, Mm -hmm. right? Stacey Abrams is a good example of a person who was pouring from an empty cup because she was caring for, I mean, she had her house, her family's house, everybody else's, and everybody's talking about her tax issue and not having enough money. And the shift that she made from that first um, gubernatorial run to where she is now, mm-hmm. like the partnerships that she, she, the places where she aligned herself in the community, the places where she started kind of moving and thinking differently um, because she did have everybody depending on her. She was taking care of everybody in her family. And so I don't know that we talk about those stories as much either. You know, I, I don't know that we talk about the shifts from being the breadwinner for multiple generations in your family mm-hmm. to helping everyone understand we got to do this together. Yes. And that not only do we do it together, but there's a whole community of people that we need to not only pour into, but we need to allow them to pour into us because the more we're all moving in our gifts, the more we're bringing into the community. As you said that, that, my mind went to the idea that we don't always ask for help, right? When you are born into a family where those responsibilities are thrust upon you, you just get it done, right? It just becomes such a huge part of your identity that you just get it done. I experienced this recently in my first class of the PhD program when they started talking about grant writing because I was looking to figure out how I could fund it on my own. Grant writing never dawned on me. It, it, Uh It never crossed my mind. I talked to my parents. I talked to my immediate family about what I could do with my own resources to get this done. It never dawned on me that there are people, leaders out there who would wanna help advance this research, who would wanna see it put into practice and an entire Uh community of people who would benefit from it. And that would be the motivation. Never ask for help because in my life, I've always been the person everyone came to for help. Yes, yes. And that is part of our legacy that I think um, as black women in particular, um, I can't speak for other groups of women, but for as Black women in particular, that we really have to be okay with breaking. Mm, powerful. Yeah. So thank you. I'm excited about your work. I, I look forward to seeing what else you, um, what other stories you um, you hear and elevate, but mm. more importantly, how those stories then begin to feed into other stories, because mm. we're not this one story. We're 
we're all the stories of the people that we engage with, that we encounter, and whether it's for a moment or, a, you know, a season or an entire lifetime, those stories continue to feed into who we become and what we do in the world. Yes. Wow. I, I love it. I'm excited to be able to, to share this with you ladies and your passion fills my own. And it's, it's interesting. Um, your last statement got me thinking about Dr. Brahme. She was a part of my committee and there came a point where she said, I'm looking at these figures and these women are so different. Their stories are different. What inspires them is different. The way they answer these questions is so different. I want you to go back into this story and share with with the, the community that will be, you know, reading this research that will be on the receiving end of it, that these women are not a monolith. They're not one, one size fits all. And it's really important to honor that and to put that out there because it's, it's a huge, she told me a huge um, finding in the research because most of the research treats any group of women like they're monolithic it's all the empirical data, right? And the empirical yeah. data doesn't give us the context. And so um, I just couldn't help but think about that. And just, um, I'm so grateful to her for pointing that out mm -hmm. to me because it made for a richer, more powerful narrative um, mm -hmm. that I think changed the way that I even looked at my own research. Yes, yes. That, that's my area of, of kind of um, spending time is what is the narrative? Whose narrative? Who controls the narrative? What what comes with that narrative? And so um, the fact that you are tapping into the richness and the multiplicity of narratives that intersect in some places um, that complement. I think we often only look at divergent things and we don't necessarily realize that even those divergent things touch Mm -hmm. and impact the way in which we respond and the way in which we move and have our being in the world. Yes. So Selena, you talked about um, the women you interviewed um, and, and some of the things that stood out for you. Can you share a little bit more? Um, tell us about those stories. Um, I know that in reading your dissertation and sitting with you during your defense, um, we heard some tidbits of those stories. So can you share a little bit more? What was it like and what were some of the stories shared with you? So when I first started this journey, I thought my research was going to be very clinical. I wanted to get to the, the root <laughs> of how these women start these businesses. And I really thought it was going to be one, register your entity. Two, <laughs> and it just, it, no one's journey was like that. Um, a few of the women were what I call um, accidental entrepreneurs. One of them was um, the go-getter in her circle of friends. And so they always relied on her to plan everything. And they would go on these girls trips and she would coordinate everything. And along the way, she just started learning these, these tips and, and tidbits. Um, for example, when you uh, book airfare, when you book a hotel, the the uh, commission for um, a travel agent is already built into the price. So she thought to herself, hmm, there's a commission there. I'm doing all of this work. I might as well benefit from the commission and my trip come for free. She also realized that it would allow some of her girlfriends uh, the advantage of being able to pay for the trip in installments. So she decided to become a travel agent. She books this Super Bowl cruise. And the response to it was astronomical. So she realized as far as SEO was concerned, when people typed in Super Bowl, Super Bowl cruise, she was maybe the second or third um, return on the research results. And she decided to make it a full-blown travel agency. So she's living out her dreams. She's doing something that she would do for free, that she was doing for free. And she's created an incredible life doing that. Um, and it was stories like that that just really inspired me. It doesn't always start from necessity, the way that the research tells us, or labor market disadvantage. Sometimes it's as simple as um, exploiting an opportunity that's available to you. And so each of their stories was so profoundly different. And I think because I'd done so much research on this, I had an idea of what their stories were going to be before they spoke. And none of them were that way. Their stories were so deeply human. 
their stories were so remarkable, remarkably female. I think sometimes when we talk about business, we um, ascribe all of these male attributes to that journey. They didn't have to be less feminine to be more successful. And that was beautiful to me also. Um, I don't think I expected for the conversations to be so emotional, so beautiful. I didn't expect to see myself in these women and to connect with them as deeply as I did. Um, and I, I attribute that to the questions that um, I was encouraged to ask, to get away from income, to get away from um, traditional ideas of business success and let the women's answers inform what success is. None of them said that success was a certain amount of money. It was this autonomy that they were looking for, uh, the way they wanted to feel day in and day out, the lives that they wanted that defined success. And I think for all of these women, business success occurred to them the minute they felt like they had lives they loved. And that was really interesting to me because we see business success discussed in terms of comparison. This group of people makes this much. This group of people um, creates this many jobs. This group of people makes... Um, you know, this type of product and these ones are making that kind of product and that's the difference. And for these women, it goes back to what you said. It's, it was never about parity or, or of income or business outcomes. It was about autonomy. It was about living life on your own terms. And that was, I didn't expect that. In fact, I was stuck in chapter four after I wrote it. I was like, how do I write chapter five? <laughs> How do I feel about this? Because it was, it wasn't what I expected, but it was so beautiful in the best way. And I think it, it transformed me a bit too, as far as why I do what I do, uh, what makes me happy and just making that a part of my success equation. Can I jump in? <laughs> this is a beautiful, beautiful, um, sharing conversation. I am delighted to, to hear you. And I can see so many similarities of some of the conversations I have not only here in the US, but also in Brazil. Uh, when you bring this uh, passion, this inclusiveness. Last night, we were having an event with uh, two directors from uh, Corn Ferry for a group of women in, in HR positions uh, to about practices to include more women in operations. And uh, one of the things they said was that women tend to be much, much, much more to almost three times more inclusive than men. They tend to look for things beyond themselves. They needed to do good for others, right? So, um, and it, totally connects with what you say, because we don't look for, we're, we're not just seeking for money. Money, okay, you, you seek for it up to a specific stage in your life. But after that, after you achieve that position, you are okay, you know, you can provide for your family. You don't work for money anymore. You work for passion and to make others' uh, life better. Um, and this is so beautiful. And I, I, I would like to, to, to know if you found this more inclusive approach in your answers as well. Oh, I love what you just said. <laughs> I love it. Yes. When these women talked about family, when they talked about even their marriages and their relationships, when they talked about the communities they were serving, that's all it was about. None of these women were motivated by earnings. It started with the desire to care for their families. And then when they reached that point where financially they could care for their families, their first thought was, okay, I have to automate some of this stuff because I also want to be present for my family. And then it becomes about, hmm, I have this community that I'm serving. How can I serve them better? What are they saying? And so then that's when the women started talking about reviews and integrating some of the feedback from their customers so that they could serve them better. And all of that is fueled by, I think, passion. I think that's fueled by a love of community and just the desire to contribute value. Um, and I feel like for these women, it wasn't about being on the Forbes list um, or any of those things 
that we see so commonly in discussions on business and the way we measure business, it was a it was the measure of their lives, the value of their lives, the meaning of their lives. I don't think these women saw their tombstone saying Forbes 40 out of 40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it was it was beautiful to me because I even realized that in school, a lot of what we're taught comes from the male lens. And I, I never realized that. And so it goes back to that conversation we were having earlier about who's creating the narrative. Yeah. And I was surprised. I had to check some of my own biases as I was doing my research. It was very important because I think I have come to define, I, I completed an MBA previously. And I believe most of my studies, if I go back and I look at those textbooks, I think they were all written by men. And so it's interesting um, that you found that. And I love that we're having these conversations because it doesn't make you any less successful. When we talk about a successful woman in business, she doesn't have to make the kind of money Elon Musk makes. That might not be what fuels her. But if she has a life she loves, if she's living out her dream, if she's walking in purpose and calling to her, that might be success. Who are we to say that's not success? Yeah, exactly. And I love what you said, because another thing that we were discussing is um, women don't say when, when you congratulate them for doing a, a good job, they say something like, oh, this is a teamwork, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't just say, thank you. Yes, I did it. <laughs> they don't take the credit for themselves because they tend to be thinking about others. And it's totally connected with uh, the narrative. That's a beautiful approach for that. Though it is tricky, and this is a challenge for me, maybe you can help me or you can share with us if you if you saw that in your research, because in 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 one hand, we need to leverage ourselves more with our narratives. But in the other hand, if we use the same narrative as men, we look like very aggressive and we are rejected. So how to achieve the balance in your opinion? Uh, have you come up with some ideas from your interviewers or have you, you know, experienced that in your life? So yes to both. I've experienced it and it did come up in the research. One of the first things I noticed, we use the word success about four times in my research questions. These women were hesitant to define themselves as successful because they too had embraced that idea of success being those things we talk about, um, money and, and those sorts of things. And so they were hesitant to perceive themselves that way. And I think that's where a lot of the emotion started to come in because then as we're talking, you realize you are successful because we got into what is your personal definition of success? And it took for the women to say, I define success this way to realize, you saw every single one of them have that aha moment of, I am successful. And then the emotion, right? And it was, it was interesting to watch. It was very interesting to watch because I think I felt the same way. I have a laundry list of things I want to check off the list. And because I'm not there yet, I wouldn't define myself as successful. But then when I started to think about how do I define success? I realize I'm walking in my success. And sometimes you have to step back and and kind of evaluate that along the way. But if you're not in the right environment for that, like let's say um, for women in corporate America, there's they say that there's a broken rung from that first level of um, entry employment to that managerial level. A lot of women don't make it there. So in their minds, they're not successful. You're doing all of the right things. You're contributing. You're a person who's adding value every day. You're doing the thing that you were made to do. And because somebody is not giving you that recognition or that opportunity, you may not feel successful. And um, I think a lot of us go through that because I think that um, if we're not careful, we let other people define success for us. Um, the other thing is, I think as women, we have so much more to balance. You have these roles that you play. A man can say, I am, I'm focused on being successful. We don't judge him. If a woman says, you know what? I'm not going to have children and I'm not going to get married because I want to be successful. I want to have an empire. We still judge those women. That, that's a conversation that happens all of the time. I am not married. I am not 
married, uh, I don't have children. And when I'm around my family, the first question I get asked is not about my work. It's not about what makes me happy, what I have going on. It's always, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to get married? And so um, it, it just goes back to the narrow way in which femininity is defined and how it affects us all. And so I think um, it's important to have conversations like this. When you're talking to other women and we can connect on these things, um, I think sometimes we can we can experience that mindset shift that allows us to appreciate ourselves and to appreciate where we are today. And we have to think about that and we probably have to do more of that in organizations. And for those of us who are creating our own organizations, I think we have to think about culture and we have to think about the fact that for people to really thrive, for people to achieve self-actualization, you need that validation. And, and what does that look like for each of us individually? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation and there's just so much that we're learning. And one of the things that I was thinking about was imposter syndrome. Did you see this in your study, the experiences of of the imposter syndrome, because a lot of the things that you were saying kind of made me think about that, like the lack of success, you know, thinking about how successful they are, like maybe they don't celebrate themselves enough. That's a huge part of that. I did. And I don't think all of the women have come face-to-face uh, -face with that terminology, um, but in the conversations, what they were describing was exactly that. Um, there was one woman, I remember her story just touched me in a way that I, I haven't forgotten it. It's really sat with me. When she was talking about her personal definition of success, I think that's when it dawned on her that maybe she had been experiencing that. She had been on um, certain shows uh, where she got to promote her work in her business, um, but she turned down a traditional uh, publishing deal that probably would have allowed her, her name to be a household name. Um, and she turned it down because they weren't going to allow her to, to keep the creative rights. And so in some ways, she said that she didn't feel successful. But what made her uh, finally tap into the idea that she was successful is thinking about the times where she was sitting in a room and she was reading these books to kids where the main character looked like them and the main character was having their experience and the room would go quiet because for the first time, these kids were seeing themselves in a story and how transformative and important that was. And the comments she gets from the kids after she shares one of her books and the parents. And as she was talking, I saw the moment it dawned on her that, yeah, I'm successful. And when she said it, I was like, oh, for me, that moment alone made all of the research worth it. I felt like um, I, I got to play a part in her having that pivotal moment just by asking the right questions and creating that, that safe space for her to talk about that. And so, yeah, I think every single one of the women, whether, um, whether they've come into contact with studies on imposter syndrome, described it in some way or another, and that's, that in and of itself needs to be researched. Why is that? Um, Dr. Selena, did, did you encounter when you were doing your research, because you were doing research in the midst of COVID, in the midst of the great resignation, did you encounter some women who were like, I made these shifts because I realized that I had more value to offer than the space was allowing me to? Mm, there were maybe three women with that story. Okay. There were three women with that story. And it was interesting. And again, very emotional because... They come from a generation where they were taught that there's that success meant a certain thing. It's you, you get the education, you get the job, you get the home, and that is supposed to provide you security. And I think for those women, when they finally achieved that security, what they realized is they hadn't achieved actualization. They hadn't achieved joy or happiness. Mm -hmm. And it was no longer enough just to have the semblance of success. They wanted to feel what it was like to be successful. And for them, success was that feeling of, of being complete, of being whole, of being fulfilled, um, of having purpose. And they didn't find that in their work. And, um, and that's when they made that change. I don't think any of them made the change specifically due to COVID. 
Um, but I think as I was speaking to the women, COVID mm-hmm. gave them an extended period of time that reinforced that they were on the right path, that they had made the right choice. Oh, nice. COVID was a good space to reset, even though people didn't see it that way. I agree. It was, 100%. It was the first time everything came to a screeching halt. Um, and we weren't part of a rat race where we could breathe, right? Where where women weren't juggling having to be at work. And I mean, if they had that opportunity and they weren't frontline workers, you know, where they could stay at home and deal with children and not have to kind of figure out how do I navigate all these places that I have to be and and not feel like in some ways I have neglected all these various things that I am called to be attentive to equally. (laughs) Yes. My family was looking at me crazy. I think they were scandalized because we were talking recently um, about my graduation and they were asking me, what is it that you want to do? And I was like, I just want to be of of service. I want to, I want to use all of this to create impact, but they, and they weren't satisfied by that. The conversation was, but what's, what job do you want? And I told them, I don't dream of labor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. look on all of their faces you would have thought I said I wanted to be a serial killer I don't dream of labor anymore I dream of being impactful but I don't dream Mm -hmm. of going to work every day I don't Mm -hmm. dream of 80 hour work weeks that's not Mm -hmm. my dream any longer and I remember gosh I think the first time someone asked me what do you want to be when you grew when you grow up it's probably four can you wait until I'm an adult and let's talk about this? I don't think we get to enjoy life enough because these things are instilled in us early on. What kind of living do you want to make? That job doesn't make that much money. Are you sure you want to do that? And I think COVID gave a lot of people a chance to see that maybe the way we've been talking and going about things is wrong. Yes. One of the questions I started asking my students in intro to sociology is not, what do you want to be? what experiences do you want to have and what and do those experiences bring you joy and thus other people in your life joy now that mess folk up they didn't want to deal with me after that but (laughs) because it shifts you from doing to being Mm. and that's what you've been talking about the movement from doing all the things that people have prescribed as women as successful women, as Black women, as entrepreneurs do to fully being human Mm. and living your thing, whatever that is, because when you're joyful, then you add joy into the world. Oh, that's beautiful and powerful. And it's exactly that. And I'm so glad we're having these conversations now. I hope that this conversation we're having reaches the right people and that they hear it and they're inspired by it. And it's not too late to make that change because I do not believe that we were put on this earth to pay bills and then to perish. That's not what a life is. And I think the earlier you get people thinking about what they want their life to mean, not how much money they're going to make or how big their home is going to be or what kind of car they're going to drive. Because let's be realistic, the average person who gets a job for those things doesn't even have the time to enjoy them. How crazy is that? That we'll get a 30-year mortgage. And when you add it up, the only time we've spent in that home is the eight hours, if we're lucky enough to get eight hours of sleep, but that we're sleeping to get up and go back to work, to work, to afford the home that we don't even get to enjoy. And it's this crazy cycle where if we don't press pause and examine it and examine how it really makes us feel and how it makes us feel about our lives, before you know it, life is over. And so I think these conversations are important. Since I've started this research and this program, this program has been really transformational to me personally, because we're not talking about leadership in terms of what title do you have at work? We talk about leadership in terms of impact, in terms of being a steward of something, right? It's made me start asking myself two questions when I make a decision. Does it make you love yourself more? Does it make you love life more? And if the answer to either one of those is no, it can have any of the 24 hours of my day. Well, I think that deserves an amen and a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wow, that's so phenomenal. So as we're as we're winding down the clock here, um, is there any last words, Selena, that you'd like to leave us with, um, that you'd like to share with the group, with our audience regarding your journey and your path? It's only the beginning. And, um, and I hope I get to come back to this place and connect with you ladies when I get a little further um, into this journey, because I just have a feeling, I have goosies right now talking to you, um, that I'm on the right path. And I'm at this point in life, it's really beautiful where you're not worried about what's next, so much as I get to be present and enjoy what's happening right now in the moment. And so even with this conversation with you all, it all feels purposeful, it all feels beautiful. And for the first time in my life, I'm present enough to enjoy it. I think in the past, I was always thinking about the next step, about the bigger picture and about the goal. And I realized the goal is so much less important than the journey. And it sounds cheesy and it sounds cliche, but it's so true. The magic is the now. And so um, I just, if I was going to, share anything with my younger self, with a younger woman out there, I would say worry more about the moment than tomorrow. Because if you're maximizing the moment, tomorrow is going to be beautiful and it's going to be great. And I think um, this program has taught me a lot about that. We, I think we tend to put the cart before the horse sometimes. And sometimes leading is being. Sometimes when you're just being and people are watching you, they're inspired and you'll never even know. But if you're not allowing yourself to be, to enjoy, um, to be present in that moment, I don't, I don't think we can reach our full potential. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And um, I'm grateful to, to the women, um, Dr. Mira Montes, Dr. Brahme, Asia, um, and you ladies now who are now a part of my community um, for these types of conversations. Because what people don't know is a lot of our course conversations were just like this. Mm -hmm. And it's been life-changing in, in the best way. So Team Pepperdine. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I just really hope, um, I hope that women are touched by this conversation. I'm moved and touched. <laughs> so thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for the role that you've all played in my journey. Um, thank you for giving me a voice and for amplifying it. What you're doing for women, what you're doing for leaders is beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you. And we definitely want to have you back as you continue your journey and hear what the next phase is like. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge the fact that at least for me, I, I'll speak for me, um, this was just as uplifting hearing you, hearing you speak of your process um, as it has been. We always come out of these conversations feeling even more engaged and, and um, inspired, right? Um, so definitely thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, any last comments from the panel before we close out? Just fully agree with you, Dr. Gabby. This is, um, it's such an immense joy to see, um, to see your journey unfold, Dr. Selena. It's just, it's just an, so, so much joy. So yeah, so thank you to you and for sharing and, you know, keeping us with you on your journey. Thank you. Thank you. So good. And with that, I want to thank you all for joining us today. If you've enjoyed today's session, please remember to click the subscribe button. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you all next week.